wife says me, far as I be knowin'. Having time to snack around in comfort all the year. So when we get a little time before our boat gets going, we head on down to the library and this is what we hear. Come, Come on, on in, look, look all around, around there's plenty for to see. Make your own self right at home, I love the library. between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. I'm Kari Peterson, and today I have Lynn Cox, who is an extreme swimmer and author. Welcome, Lynn. Thank you very much. So Lynn was um, gave two presentations today at the library talking about um, open water swimming, which was very exciting to me, and um, also talking about your books, Swimming to Antarctica and Grayson. And we thought that we would talk about a little about um, a little about swimming and a little about writing. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I know we we wanted to talk mostly about the writing today, um, but I also wanted to know what did you study in college because you ended up becoming a writer. Yeah, so in, I went to University of California, Santa Barbara, and I knew that I wanted to be a writer, but I didn't want to be a straight English major. So I loved history. I majored in history, but I also took all sorts of courses in creative writing. And I had a professor who was a poet named John Ridland, 
and he was also a swimmer. So I wrote a paper in his class, and he thought it was great. And he said, you know, you really should take another course after you finish mine, and it's given by Stephen Alabak, and he will help you write some short stories if you're interested in doing that. So I said, that sounds great. So I, the next quarter I entered his class. I think at this point I was a, a junior in, in college and said to Stephen Alabak, the, the professor there, that I was really excited about taking his class. And he said, you know, what we're going to do is have people read everyone's work and then critique it. So everyone was given an assignment to write a short story and submit it. And then they were swapped around the class, and you didn't know who wrote whatever, and then you critique the work. And I found that it was really excruciating and that I really didn't care about writing stuff for testing or for just for class. So I went to him and said, you know, I'd like to write a book and call it Beyond Borders. And I'd like to write about swimming across the English Channel and across Catalina Island, to Catalina Island, and I'd like to tell these stories. Instead of going to class and taking your class, could I write the book and would you critique it for me? So he said, yes. And you know, I didn't understand that that was something that just wasn't done, but in nine weeks I wrote the first draft of Swimming to Antarctica. Wow. And so from then on, though, it would go through 10 more absolute complete rewrites. And during that time, I would condense stories and get rid of stories. And then I was continuing to do different major swims. So I was trying to find in that first book, Swimming to Antarctica, stories that really told you something beyond I jumped in cold water and swam. It was, it was a, it was, there was a challenge or there was something that I really learned about people, place, time that you wouldn't get from reading another chapter. Yeah. So I'm thinking about your writing. And um, one of the things that I really enjoyed about your writing was you're very suspenseful. There's a lot of um, tension in the writing that, that holds you, the reader, in good at that. Thank you very much. That's a huge compliment. And actually, I was once told, write the book you would want to read. And I love thrillers. I love how how do you get these pieces of the puzzle and figure out what's going to happen next? Who is the character that did it or found it or whatever? So when I'm writing, I'm always thinking, how can I tell the story in the most complete, concise, sort of streamlined way to keep the reader reading, but also keep them hanging there and wondering what's going to happen? Because when you're doing these different swims or going to these different countries, things are not set. Things keep changing, and what you expect changes. The water, the temperature, the support crew, the the conditions, the, the political unrest in one place that you didn't expect. So... I try to include that kind of information that explains things were unsettled or how glorious it is to be able to suddenly be able to go to a place where it's really calm or the water's glassy and you can just swim for miles. You know, so I tried to bring that into the writing. Yeah, you well, you did a very good job of it. Thank you, thank and you. Since um, I think 
you had told me the story. I would really like you to repeat that story of um, swimming from Alaska to Russia in 87. And um, I still am blown away that you did that. And, and through reading your books, I learned that you asked the government of Russia to, for 11 years for permission to swim there before you were allowed to do that. Right, so the idea to make the swim was to swim from Little Diomede to Big Diomede, from the present across the international dateline into the future. And there was some poetic feeling to that, but also that you would be swimming and reaching from the present into the future. So in order to do the swim, I mean, the border had been closed for more than 48 years. So I wanted to do the swim as a way to bring people together, to open the border, and to promote goodwill and peace. So I started in 1976 writing letters. And I wrote to the Soviets and wrote to the Soviet ambassador to the United States and the U.S. ambassador to the Soviet Union, to people in the State Department, ambassadors, senators, congressmen, congresswomen, people that had had any contact with the Soviets. Because back then, in the early 70s and mid-70s, there was a Cold War going on still, and relations were not good between the countries. And so a lot of people were thinking, you know, this is just never going to happen. There's no way possible. But I kept at it, and eventually Frank Murkowski, who was senator at that time, said, you know, we'll help you. And then I had also been talking to a man named Ed Salazar, who worked at the State Department on the Soviet desk, and he was an expert in Soviet affairs. But he was also one of those who thought, well, that's really different, but I'll see if I can help you. So they started this whole team for me, and then eventually it grew, and I was able to get Ter Ted Turner, who was working on the Goodwill Games, his crew in Moscow that were U.S. citizens that were working on creating the Goodwill Games, and kept building and building and working on it, and um, wound up going to Alaska, traveling from California on my own to... Nome and training there and waiting for my support crew, which included two medical people and some journalists, and then Larry Main, who's from Petersburg, who was walking the beach with me to help me train and watching over me, and then wound up setting off the day before the swim happened. We got permission from Gorbachev to make the swim. So the thing, though, was, was that the tensions were still high between the U.S. and Soviet Union, so the people on Little Diomede noticed that there were two enormous ships, Soviet ships, that were moving north into the Bering Strait. And the National Guard was really worried because they hadn't seen this and didn't expect this to happen. So they got in touch with Senator Rakowski's office. But before all that happened, the U.S. sent up fighter planes, and they were inspecting the ships. And then when the U.S. sent up the fighter planes, the Soviets sent up MiGs, and I was told they were sort of playing chicken on the border with each other. So news came back through the right channels, and people found out in the United States that this was a project that was all planned, that had it been, it had it been approved, and the idea was to make the swim. We found out later, um, much later, that there were people on board these ships that had been brought from all over the Soviet Union to be helicoptered from the ship to Big Diomede Island in the Soviet Union to greet us. 
when we land on onshore. So they had set up elaborate picnics and samovars full of tea, and they were all set to welcome us. So that was one of those moments where, you know, if people hadn't been just cool, leveled, level-headed, and were looking at the good and stuff instead of what could be bad, things were okay. And and but that created a huge tension because it was just like this is not what we wanted to have happen. <laughs> no. no. Thank you for sharing that. Sure. Story. Yeah. That is fascinating. Um, I just still can't get over. It. And I one one thing that struck me too in your book Swimming in the Sink and the research there's a part where you write in that book about um, when when the pain is really bad they're studying pain and they're using you to study pain in the cold and um, the the researcher sitting with you asks if if he could hold your hand because sometimes that makes it better that human connection and I love that line in that book where you write about it's to me I feel like that's that is kind of the crux of a lot of your writing is the the human connection and the stories and how do we get through this together yes actually that Maddie Scarborough was the young doctor very cute and he was sitting next to me and what they had me do is immerse my hand in zero degrees 32 degree water for as long as I could stand it and they were trying to check out the blood flow changes that happened in the hand in the cold. Well, when I volunteered for this, I had no idea that it would be really, really painful. But (laughs) Maddie had seen a number of men who had gone through this before. And so he knew that it was a painful thing. And so I, I was really competitive then. And so when I heard that some of the subjects they had, that had been involved in the study had lasted for five minutes at the most I was thinking well I'll try for 10 and then I'm like okay I'll go for 15 and there was a like a pace clock that you see at the side of a swimming pool and you could see the seconds ticking off and I'm thinking I just have to watch these seconds go by because that will show me that I'm progressing and then about halfway through when I was just really having a hard time that's when Maddie said would you like me to hold your hand? And so that was a huge discovery for me that, you know, when somebody's in extreme pain or in pain, just holding their hand can make a huge difference. So I was talking to a friend of mine who is now a retired OBGYN, and I was telling her this wonderful thing I had learned. And she said, oh, yeah, we use that all the time in childbirth. <laughs> I'm like, oh, of course, of course. Yes, that makes sense. <laughs> it does. But... I guess just the sense that you're not alone and that but then Maddie was worried that his hand was warm so he's like is he going to affect the study because his hand is warm is he going to give the warmth in my other hand and affect the other hand I don't know but it got me to be able to stay there I think it was for an hour a half an hour in 32 degree water and then they were able to see that I the blood flow came back and the thing they found out that was different than the other subjects was that I had a minute blood flow throughout the whole experiment, whereas people that were untrained for the cold 
would have surges of blood flow into their hand. And when that happened, more of their blood would be exposed to the cold surrounding water. So the blood flow would then surge back to their arm and into their core, and that would cause their temperature to drop. But my temperature didn't drop at all. So they were thinking, oh, this might be another way to show that you've been able to acclimate to the cold. Acclimate, yeah. 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 And that's so important in your swimming, is that? Huge, because if you can't keep the peripheral warm, you can't keep the, the core warm, and then you get hypothermia and you can have big problems. Yeah. yeah. If you're just joining us, this is Homegrown Conversations, a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library. I'm Kari Peterson. And on today's program, I'm interviewing Lynn Cox, extreme swimmer and author. Now back to our interview. Can you tell us all the books that you've published and just a little bit about each one, what they're about? Sure. I wrote Swimming to Antarctica, and that's really about many of the adventures that I had through, I think, 20 years or 25 years of swimming in different parts of the world, the conditions of the oceans or the lakes and the people that were met along the way and the connections that were made. And that was that book took 21 years to get published. And it only took Swimming to Antarctica to include that as the final chapter that I finally got it accepted. So it was like, oh my gosh. So, But that became a New York Times bestseller. And then the next book I wrote was called Grayson, and that one took about a year to write. It's a very tiny book, more in size like a novella, and it's about a baby whale that got lost off the coast of California while I was training to swim across the San Pedro Channel. And the story really was about helping this baby whale find his mom and and the community of of people that are fishermen, lifeguards, coast guard, people offshore, people on the pier that join the search for the baby's mom. So that book has been translated into 23 languages. It was really, really been, it's a heartwarming, happy story. Um, That's my, I have to say that, I think that's my favorite because I think it's a fabulous read aloud for children. I mean, it's a fabulous read for anybody but I think for elementary and any age child, actually, I would love to read it to my Oh, child. that's great. That's great, because actually the new book that I've written that will come out in spring 2022 is written at, in that same style of really connecting with their dogs. It's the, the book is called Tales of Al, the Water Rescue Dog, and it's the story of this community in Italy that works with these dogs and the people, and... I really wanted to tell the story in a very bright, happy way because that's the way this whole thing felt. I mean, I think that authors will take you into the different moods that they feel, and this was just wonderful. It was just an amazing experience. So Grayson was the second book. Then I wrote a book called Elizabeth, Queen of the Seas, and it's a children's book. It's about an elephant seal that decided to live in New Zealand in the Avon River in Christchurch. And elephant seals, I mean, it's a true story, but elephants don't choose to do this. And the way I heard about the story is I'd gone to the Southern Alps of New Zealand to swim 
to be the first to swim the lakes there, Pukeki, Oahu, and Tekapu. And after the swim, I was going back through Christchurch, walking across a bridge, and there was a family with a girl and a boy. And they were asking me, are you here to see Elizabeth? I'm like, who's Elizabeth? And then they explained to me that she was a lovely elephant seal. And they told me that they went to see her all the time. And so we spent time talking about Elizabeth. And that story just stuck in my head. And so I decided I had to write it. And so Schwartz and Wade published that. And it has been published in the United States, but also now in New Zealand. Um, After that, I wrote a story called South of the Sun. And that book is really all about Raul Raul Amundsen and Friedrich Nansen and their explorations through the Arctic, but also Amundsen going to the South Pole and being the first to get there and succeeded. Um, It's a story about courage. It's a story about overcoming extreme cold and endurance and being so pragmatic. And I tied his journey to mine because his first journeys were through the Canadian Arctic. And I had done some swims in colder waters and then went to Antarctica. He then went to Antarctica. So I was talking about how he acclimated, how he trained, the dogs that he used, what he learned to do the the attempt to get to the South Pole. And I was so amazed by him because he was so thorough in his research. He was so pragmatic in his approach. And he went to Germany to learn how to navigate. He learned from Friedrich Nansen how to operate the boat, the Yoa, and then later on the Fram. So that story is basically about different journeys but tied together through sailing and through swimming. After that, I wrote an open water swimming journal because through the years I've had so many people contact me and say, I want to swim across the bay here in Petersburg or I want to... Yes, I want, I want to do something that I've never done before. I'm a pool swimmer, and I don't know how to train. Or how do you get a team to support you? Or what kind of support boats do you use? How do you go about doing that? So I had so many people through the years contacting me, and I was happy to answer them, but I felt like I was answering the same questions often. Yeah. So I thought, you know, I need to sit down and write a manual to help people. But the part that really became a learning venture for me was that a friend of mine just in passing said, if you ever need to talk to the Navy SEALs, I have a contact there. So I thought, oh my gosh, let me use that contact. So we went down, I went down with a couple friends because we were talking about them helping a friend swimming across the Catalina Channel. And they had a kayak and a swimmer once got in trouble from hypothermia and she didn't know what to do and how to get them out of the water quickly. And the support boat was too far away. It was about half a mile away. So I asked if the SEALs would help us figure out what could we do, how could we have something more present for a swimmer in the water. So they showed us how to um, flip a kayak over and put the swimmer's arms over the back of the kayak and then flip the kayak and have the swimmer lying face down on the floor of the kayak and then paddle behind them. And then as we started talking, the SEALs found out about my background and said, you're welcome to come down here anytime you want and learn from us. So what I did is I spent the next two years off and on learning their risk management 
because they train for like they will perform, and they try to diminish as much risk as they can during the training so that when they're actually on a mission, they don't have to worry about all these other things because they've covered them. They can deal with whatever new situation happens. And when you're doing an open water swim, that's often what happens. You know, things just happen that you didn't expect and now you need to react. But if you had all those other problems going on, you couldn't do what you need to do. So I spent a lot of time writing what they told me. And also, I was also very aware that I need to use them as a source because if I give information to somebody and they misuse it, then I'm liable for them misusing it. They got hurt because of me. So I was criticized that I didn't express stuff myself a lot of times, but I felt like the SEALs are the pros and you can't dispute what they're doing as far as training. And they, they take extreme to the extreme, yeah. you know, amazing to watch. Yes, I actually, I love that book. I'm, that was the first one I read. Recently. Really? Oh, Just wow. because I am a swimmer, but um, I'm 50 years old now. <laughs> and um, I've, I've been interested in open water swimming just as, I don't know, my, my bucket list isn't very long, but that's on it. Well, it sounds like just from doing the events today, the swim coach here in town and Rick are going to get together and they're going to go talk to the captain and the Coast Guard and figure out if there's a way they can do some test swims together and then maybe do something bigger than that later on. And so I was so happy to see that because that's the way you do it. You approach it in small pieces and you do it as safely as you can. So the manual, I'm really happy that you read it and that it was useful, you know, that... Well, we have a good master's program here, which is the Adult Swim And Scott is the coach? Scott is the coach of that. He's also the coach of the Viking Swim Club, which is the kids' program. Oh, great. And, um, yeah, but all the literature that comes out from masters, um, especially in Great Britain, there's a huge movement with older people. um, Wild swimming. Yeah, open water swimming. They call it wild swimming. They do all sorts of stuff all over England. But that's really expanded around the world. I mean, there if you go onto Facebook, there are so many different groups. There are people in Michigan. There are people in Argentina. There are people. It's yeah. just become this amazing sport. But I think part of it is because people got tired of swimming in the pool. And then when people had to be isolated over the last year, they decided they didn't, they couldn't, or they didn't want to swim in the pool, so they started in the open water. So there are so many people doing open water swimming and triathlons, and they're just thinking, "Wow, this is fantastic," because you don't, you're not constricted, you know. Yeah. So the next book after that I did um, was "Swimming in the Sink," and it was basically about my experience of becoming very ill from too much stress over a long period of time, losing my dad, my dog, my mom, my neighborhood. And that caused my heart to swell. It was called Takashibu syndrome or broken heart syndrome. And my heart wasn't pumping well. And so the doctor that saw me wasn't sure if I was going to survive or if I would need a heart transplant or if the meds that I was given would work and help me get back to normal again. So I approached this challenge like I did an open water swim and did it gradually and very slowly, got back to health, and then uh, finished the book, and then 
met my husband-to-be and fell in love and, and wrote the last chapter of that book. Um, and so those are the first six books. And since the closed down, shut down over the last year, I've written the new book, um, Tales of Al, the Water Rescue Dog. And then I've written a new children's book about a sea turtle that'll come out in 2023 called Yoshi. And it's a story about, true story about a loggerhead turtle. And now I'm back to work on another, <laughs> another book and actually starting to do stuff that's related to book tours and speaking and going off, been speaking now because things are opening again. Yeah. It's been really great. Well, it's been wonderful having you here. It was, um, I just, I feel like I learned so much from listening to your talks and, and also reading your books and just connecting all the dots. Yeah. Thank you. Well, it's been so great. This is such a fabulous library, and the staff that's here is amazing, and it's just been great and an incredible experience. I mean, it's like I almost li- wish that we lived here to use this library. It's, <laughs> it, I mean, it really is. I've been to many libraries. As, as an author, you get to go to many, you speak at many, and you also are involved in coordinating community events and so this is one of the best libraries I've ever visited well thank you it's, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of heart and soul went into it feels like it to putting this this building up yeah, yeah. thank you for joining us this has been Homegrown Conversations a collaboration between KFSK and the Petersburg Public Library Thank you to Lynn Cox for being so generous with her time and stories. And thank you to Larry Main and Tara Lucas for inviting her to town. Today's show will be archived as a podcast on the library's website at www.psglib.org.